We're just in this state of the world right now. I'm not surprised that hot yoga is so popular. No pain, no gain is the slogan of every athletic brand. <laughs> you know, it's sort of work harder, you know, do all these things. And working harder gets confused with stressing yourself out. And there's a huge dialogue around mental health because everybody's so stressed out, but the dialogue isn't, well, how can we work smarter, work more efficiently, use what you need, rest what you don't, you know, it's sort of the idea of environmental conservation. You know, we want to pick up the trash and be better, but are we doing that with ourselves or are we exhausting ourselves doing the simplest things? Are we making easy things hard and we can't do hard things easy? So you know, you can go to a hot yoga class and be relaxed and get through it. But, you know, I think that's maybe one in a million kind of a personality. Most people are going in and they're feeling like, yeah, <laughs> which can be very fun. That's a tribal kind of a thing. But, you know, physically, it's not so great for you. Mentally, it's not so great for you. I'm Doug Bopes, personal trainer, best-selling author and entrepreneur. And I'm on a mission to help others become the best version of themselves. So I'd like to welcome you to the Adversity Advantage Podcast, where we will help you use obstacles, failures, and setbacks to give you that edge needed for success. I'll be interviewing people from all walks of life on how they overcame trials and turned them into triumphs. So please sit back, relax, and get ready to be absolutely blown away by some of the wisdom and stories you're about to hear. Welcome back to another episode of the Adversity Advantage. I'm your host, Doug Bobes. And today's conversation is going to be relaxing. It's going to be soothing and empowering because we are talking about yoga with global wellness expert and founder of Strala Yoga, Tara Styles. Tara brings a revolutionary approach to being, moving, and healing to inspire millions around the world with her relatable perspective with regards to yoga, meditation, and movement. Now, before you press pause or exit because you aren't interested in yoga, I invite you to continue to listen to the quote-unquote yoga rebel. The New York Times recognizes Tara as such because of her unconventional approach to this sometimes intimidating subject. She isn't into the dogma of yoga or forcing you to do a bunch of poses or making you chant. Again, if that's your jam, no judgment from either one of us. I would say that for most people, their resistance to yoga is because of the time commitment, inflexibility, feeling insecure, or not feeling aligned with the spirituality aspect, etc. After hearing today's episode, I can promise you that these challenges will be diminished as Tara's approach is efficient, it's relatable, it's empowering and practical for anyone looking to reap the incredible benefits of yoga. Yoga can reduce stress, it can relieve tension, improve your confidence, help you sleep better, gain flexibility, and so much more. The focus of our discussion today centers around what the average person can do if they want to get started with yoga and incorporate it into their daily routine or regular workout program. We break down the many walls or barriers that I mentioned previously and why spending just a few minutes a day practicing yoga or even taking one breath could be beneficial. Tara shares why the quote unquote, better you move within the poses matters more than how far you stretch. We discuss what you can do to reduce tension and stiffness and Tara shares what she does to help her manage her stress. We go all in on the topic of hot yoga and why Tara thinks most people should stay away from it. So let's get this conversation going and welcome Tara Styles to the Adversity Advantage podcast. Tara Styles, welcome to the Adversity Advantage podcast. Thanks for having me. It's great to uh, chat a bit. Yeah, I'm super excited. I, I, I love the topic of yoga. I can't say, I'd be lying if I said that I was a regular 
yoga practitioner. I do know that it has so many amazing benefits for us physically, mentally, emotionally, spiritually, our flexibility, like I can go on and on. So I'm, I'm pumped to really get into the mind of, of somebody who's been doing this a long time. You started Strala Yoga, which is highly popular. You've worked with some high-level people such as Deepak Chopra and gotten tons of praise. Harvard has used your work at, at case studies. You've written multiple books. But I know like many of us that get into the fields that we're in, you got into it more for, I think, a personal reason where you, you saw a problem that was arising in the yoga space. And you, you felt that you had an obligation, if you will, to create some sort of solution to help bring more people into the yoga community. But first I want to go back a little bit because I know your roots, a lot of it was in dancing. It was in ballet, it was in modeling. And then I think you hit a point in your dancing career or journey, if you will, where you just knew that long-term it wasn't going to work for you and you wanted to pursue yoga. So when was that moment and what inspired you to go all in on yoga? Oh, man, I feel like you've been hanging out with my mom. You know everything about me. This is <laughs> awesome. <laughs> oh, gosh. Yeah, it's that happened for sure. But I think, you know, being so young or at least, you know, naive or whatever it was, I didn't realize that was happening. I felt like something almost bad was being was happening to me when I learned about yoga. And then I had that thought, like you said, you know, oh, my friends don't do this. Why don't my friends do this? Oh, because of the misconceptions or the dogma or whatever. And then I was thinking, well, I had this plan for my life. And now I see that I kind of have to do this other thing. I feel pulled in this way. And there was really no map or, you know, blueprint or, you know, plan to do that. I just started, you know, learning more about yoga and then sharing it literally just super casually with, you know, if we met on the street and we just had this conversation, you know, you're talking about being a trainer and all the things that you're doing, you know, I'd probably say, you know, well, yoga can help you feel better. What about this? What about that? You'd, and you'd probably show me some training moves and we'd become friends and, you know, start to work out and do yoga together. So I just feel like for myself that that interest was so big and kept growing and growing that I would just start to share yoga in this more easygoing, you can do it kind of a way. There isn't this hierarchy. There's a system just like everything else has a system. But for some reason, yoga has this, you know, precious moment figurine around it. <laughs> and it can be hard to, to get in there. But but you know, I just saw, okay, once you're in there, it's universal, you know, we all have this inside. And, you know, it's this awesome system, because it can help you with a huge amount of things in your life. And, you know, even now still everybody knows, oh yeah, yoga is good for me. But, you know, I think you're more just like everybody else in the world. You know, there's still just a small percentage of people doing it, even though it's millions and millions, but, you know, it's still such a small percentage of people. Yeah. I think, well, there's a lot that's inspiring to me about your journey and, and your practice with yoga. And I think one of them is what you just alluded to a moment ago, which was the, the, the dogmatic sense of yoga that I think can be, per, be perceived by a lot of people because there's, there's a, a huge spirituality component. There's a huge foundation and origin story with yoga that I feel like a lot of people, they don't feel aligned if they don't fully understand it. And if they can't like recite a lot of the Sanskrit and a lot of the mm -hmm. phrases and, and, you know, different chants that they're not doing it right. And I feel like it can be very similar to religion. And you and I were talking mm. before we recorded 
And I was saying for the longest time, I didn't, I couldn't identify with, with religion. And I still honestly don't to this day. And I don't shame or judge anybody who does, but I'm sure if I'm feeling this way, a lot of other people have felt a similar way when it comes to spirituality practices, where if you're in a place where there's a priest, pastor, teacher that's perceived to be better than you, or you feel like your power is in their hands, it's going to be really hard to fully feel invited and identify with that and want to pursue it in an authentic way. And I found that in my own spirituality journey, my own walk with Christianity, where for the longest time, like I said, going to, to older traditional churches where there was this hierarchy with priests, pastors, I, it, I didn't feel connected. But when I started going to this non-denominational church and the pastor was like, I'm just like you and started sharing their own stories of adversity and how they became Christians, I aligned with that. And I think you're seeing more of that now where people are, are starting to flock more so towards non-denominational churches versus the old school traditional church. And I think you probably found this, this niche at the right time where you created that in the yoga space where you're like, hey, listen, I'm not here to tell you what to do as far as what to believe in as far as the roots of yoga or what to say or, or how to do it. I'm just here to help you in the best way I know how to. So what about your solution? What about your practice? Do you think really separated it from the rest other than it not being so dogmatic and so kind of cutthroat black and white where you drew such, such an engaged following to come to your community of yoga? Oh, well, I love that we have that talk about you know, religion because it's the same experience for me. I'm thinking of you know, in the studio in New York and maybe this is just because New York's so special, but then I'd realize you know, whenever I got to go somewhere else or teaching online, the variety of folks that would come to a class would be, you know, literally a rabbi, a Christian, an agnostic, and then they're all in one room and everybody's having some sort of experience that makes them feel better. And to me, that success, that kind of idea of non-denominational yoga. Yeah. And, um, you know, I think in the beginning, I was, I was explaining how to do yoga without explaining how people should be feeling. And I thought originally that was the, the, the easiest problem that I could identify with yoga. Teachers should not tell you how to feel. And once they do, there's this huge power over you. And if you believe what they tell you how to feel, if you're not feeling that way, then all of a sudden they, they can pull you around for the rest of your life and control you. And, you know, we've seen all these problems come out with yoga, but nobody was seeing it before it was happening, although it was happening in the process. And, you know, maybe I grew up Catholic as well. So it was just, you know, plain as day to me, if you have somebody that's in a robe, that's telling you how to feel, and if they have bad intentions, they have all the power over you. So, you know, it, it just repeats in any system that has amazing power and yoga. I, I feel the best part about yoga is the powers on you, you know, with religion, it sounds like your experience in your communities you know, are very healthy because nobody's in charge. You know, the, right. the teacher, the preacher, the pastor is the guide, you know, knows how to take you through a process to connect to yourself and connect to your experience. And I feel, you know, the same about myself with yoga. So I never had to talk about any of these things. I wasn't, you know, doing interviews and all of this stuff. I was literally showing people how to do yoga step-by-step, frame-by-frame. And so much of, of the yoga that was a problem for me was making the pose the goal. I thought that's the most superficial 
ridiculous thing in the world. And all of a sudden the Cirque du Soleil people are going to be the best at yoga and the runners are going to be the worst. And how is that a measure of how connected you are to yourself? It just doesn't make any sense. So I, I started to look at how you move through all of the positions, how you move, you know, when you walk into the class, I would kind of change where I was. I wouldn't just stand in the front of the room and act like I'm amazing. You know, <laughs> I would move around and kind of try to create this environment. So I never had to you know, right on the wall. This is a non-dogmatic version of yoga, but it just was. And, you know, so people started telling me what it was. Oh, this is non-dogmatic. This feels like my non-denominational church, or right. I feel like I'm invited <laughs> here. And I never had to write, you know, a press release about it. And I, I would feel, you know, dishonorable if I did, you know. Absolutely. And I think that's a huge problem in any community where you have a hierarchy of people where there's, there's ones that, that feel that, where there's people where they feel almost intimidated by the person that's, that's teaching them. I think it should be more of an inspiration, right? They should be inspiring. They should be inspiring them to, all, along their journey. And the, I think it's just really based on action. It's almost like how, how you carry yourself when you're teaching your clients is going to help them get better as, in yoga because they're just watching you and they're feeding off your energy. And if they relate to you and they trust you and they feel connected, like things are just going to flow. It's not going to feel nearly as forced as it does sometimes. Like for me, when I've gone into a yoga studio and again, I'm like the worst when it comes to yoga, being a yoga student, like I haven't been able to find my thing where I'm, I'm super consistent. So, but my experience has been, if I, I get really intimidated, if I'm going into a 90 minute yoga class, when I'm somebody who can barely um, like keep my head straight, like not think about like all these thoughts that are running through my head or stay focused for five minutes. I have like a squirrel brain at times. And I imagine there's a lot of people that have that very same fear, that very, those very same feelings where they haven't done yoga ever. They haven't done yoga in five years, 10 years. And their only options when they look at some of these studios is 30 minute class, 60 minute class, 90 minute class. But I would bet that the general person, even anybody, could get a benefit from just doing five to 10 minutes of yoga a day. Oh, yeah. So, am I, so my question is, if, if you had, say there's somebody listening to this right now, and one of their hangups is time. And they say, Tara, the studios around me, even some of these online classes are 60 minutes, they're 90 minutes. I just don't feel comfortable doing that yet. Mm -hmm. I can barely you know, touch my toes. I have kids running around. I am traveling. What are some like staple stretches or poses that you have people do when they're short of time that they can be consistent with that are easy and efficient? Yeah. I mean, this is, I think I got lucky with when I started sharing YouTube just started and, you know, there was just like funny cat videos on the internet. I thought, well, I have a, a computer with a camera and I made these five minute videos for my friends back home, you know, yoga, you can do for back pain, for anxiety, for stress, whatever. But I think the, the easiest thing that we all can do, you know, whether you're advanced at yoga or whatever, you know, it doesn't matter if you do a lot of yoga or if you don't, it sort of matters. Is it helping you feel better during the day? Just like you, you know, I've, I've seen your videos with your clients and you're doing the movements with them. You are inspiring them. You're you're there with them, you're doing it, you're getting down on the ground, getting up. And with yoga, it's the same thing. If you can just get down on the ground with yourself, 
soften your your body enough with yoga i think the 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 misconception is and it happens we kind of stiffen up when we do yoga because you're trying to do this pose which is not the goal you know so yeah. i'm hoping we're kind of in the middle of this evolution but if 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 you can just soften you know allow yourself to be a little bit movable and watch your breath move you you know yoga is like a vocabulary just like training just like anything else then you can do things from there. You know, every inhale can take you out and up in any direction. Every exhale can bring you down. So if you, you know, take a big inhale, reach your arms up, exhale, bring your arms back down and just do that three times. You know, you don't need much, you know, you don't need it to be your workout for the day. You don't need it to be, you know, your ab toning or whatever, you know, you start to move your whole body in harmony together, you feel better. So when you stand back up and go and make the dinner or drive the car, you're not like this, you're more connected with yourself. And for me, I see that as the main benefit of yoga. And of course, if you do that for an hour a day, your, your body is going to get healthier and stronger and all of those things like you would, you know, a workout or something like that. But I don't think it has to be like one or the other, or, you know, yoga is a workout or yoga is not a workout, or, you know, you have to do it for five minutes, you have to do it for 30 minutes. I think if you can do it for one breath and it changes the way you move and feel, then, then that's way better than going to a 90 minute yoga class where you feel intimidated for sure. Yeah. It's, it's always better to do with anything to be consistent than, than to be a flash in the pan. I mean, it's better to do five, 10 minutes of, of yoga or stretching every single day than to hit one 90 minute class a month or two 60 minute classes a month. And, and as, as, as I was thinking about that, most people, you know, I've been a trainer for, for over 10 years and a lot of people that, that I've come across, they, they use yoga almost as like a bandaid. So when they're feeling super tight, maybe they pulled something, they hurt something. They're like, Oh, I'm just going to do yoga. start. I need to start doing yoga again. Or I'm going to start doing it. But from what I understand and what I know, again, I know, but I don't necessarily always do it. Yoga can help you reduce stress. Yoga can help you reduce anxiety. Yoga can help with depression. Yoga can help you sleep better. Yoga can help you feel more connected to your body. All of these things that if not taken care of can lead to massive stiffness, right? You think about a bad night's sleep where you're tossing and turning and you're sleeping on your stomach, you feel stiff. If you're anxious and stressed, if you're depressed, like you feel stressed, you feel tense, right? The issues are in the tissues. Mm. So what is a good first step? Maybe it's breath work. Maybe it's a certain stretch that somebody can take if they are feeling super disconnected from their body, because we, we, we're hearing a lot now about the importance of feeling connected to our body, physically, emotionally, spiritually, and mentally, and the importance of that for things like healing, reducing anxiety, self-improvement, and that sort of thing. So what would be like one good step somebody could take? Yeah, I think first of all, forgetting about yoga as a pose mm. or as a position, you know, right. there's like everything there's, there's forms, but there's, you know, a form is one point on a whole thing. And I feel like, you know, in where we are right now, that's, that's where I'd like to take, you know, what I'm kind of leading with yoga is, you know, a twist or a tree pose or a dancer pose isn't going to cure your headache or your problem, but how you move in yourself as you do all of those things is. So I think if you just, you know, have a simple rolling up and rolling down, mm -hmm. really moving through all of the transitions of your yoga practice, or just simply standing, putting a little bend in your knees and hanging over and letting your breath move your body. That's how you can feel connected to your body. It's not 
okay, let me do a forward bend and then kind of slam myself. And if I touch my toes and I'm going to get more flexible, right, <laughs> right, right. anybody that knows anything about the human body will tell you, you know, don't do that, you know, but for some reason with yoga, it's like, no, no, no. If the further I get, the better I'll be. And it just doesn't work that way. So, you know, if you can be movable in yourself, if you can soften, you know, a little bit of a bend in your, in your elbows and your knees and a little kind of softness of your whole self, you know, then your body can move, you know, and I think even with yoga, I, I like to talk about softness and then I'll see online, it'll pop up, oh, it's okay to be soft and strong. And I'm thinking there is no opposition to being movable. <laughs> you know, you're either softness is movability. And if you're movable, that's it. You can move, you know, if right. you're, if you're the opposite of movable, you're stiff, you're rigid, you're stuck, you're tense, and things are going to go downhill from there. So you know, you being a trainer, you know, it's this, it's the same thing. You need mobility in order, in order to, to be able to do anything that will make you strong. So, you know, softness isn't something I think people are so afraid that it's lazy or that if they're not stressed in their yoga practice, they're not getting anywhere. Or if they're not rigid or stiff, they're not becoming more flexible. And, you know, that's okay. It's sort of what a lot of people have been taught. It's a lot of what have you know, kind of the messages from just seeing a pose and you think, okay, I need to do that pose. But if you allow yourself to relax a little bit in it and know that, you know, the better that you move, the, the more you'll progress instead of the more you stress, the more you'll progress. <laughs> so it's a challenge, but it's, it's just about allowing yourself to soften and allow your breath to, to move you from there. It seems from what you're saying, the, the idea of feeling more connected to your body is, is more of something you do versus something that you just think. And I yeah. think, you know, you can certainly get connected to your body in, in forms of meditation and, and breath work where you're not necessarily like moving actively, so to speak, but you're still doing something right. Versus you're not trying to say, okay, like, how can I get connected? How can I get connected? What pose do I need to do? What meditation? I think you just got to just do it yeah. because I think what happens is, and why I like your approach is because you take the, you take the narrative of, okay, I'm just going to train people with yoga. Like I'm not going to have to go into some deep explanation on why I'm doing this or where this comes from. I'm just going to, I know what my, my client wants or needs or my student, and I'm going to help them in the best way I know how. And I'm just going to just go from there and progress or regress as needed. One thing I wanted to, to come back to was that I think a lot of people they are so stiff right now from just sitting down more during this pandemic and they're overstressed and they're overworked and their muscles are tense and their hips are Im immobile. And as a result, they're stressed, more stressed they're more anxious. They're more depressed. They're not sleeping as well, just because, you know, we, we we've heard this, I've said this before, like the issues are in the tissue. So what are some things that people can do from a movement, from a movement perspective to make sure they're not stiffening up any more than they already are? Mm. Is it getting a standing desk? Is it sleeping on your back? Is it, you know, not looking at your phone seven hours a day like some of us do? <laughs> like, what's, what's the recipe? We will get you back to this episode of the Adversity Advantage in just one second. But first, wanted to give a quick shout out to Danette May and Earth Echo Foods. Danette was a past guest on the podcast and shared her incredible story and how it inspired her to create her products such as Cacao Bliss, which I take every day, either in my coffee or in a smoothie. It starts with 100% organic cacao beans that are naturally kissed by the sun, maintaining its miraculous health benefits. Then it's blended with turmeric, MCT oil, coconut, Himalayan sea salt, cinnamon, and black pepper 
for the perfect blend to make you feel the best you ever have. The result? Fall in love with a truly decadent, healthy, guilt-free chocolate, removing your cravings, facilitating weight loss, boosting your energy, and reducing your inflammation with one simple drink. Not only that, it is friendly to keto, gluten-free, paleo, vegan, and vegetarian diets. So go to earthechofoods.com forward slash Doug Bobst. Again, earthechofoods.com forward slash Doug Bobst. Check it out for yourself and learn more about the amazing benefits of Cacao Bliss. And when you enter in the promo code Doug at checkout, you'll get 15% off. Now back to the show. Oh gosh. I mean, I think so much is allowing yourself to move, allowing your body to move and not find, you know, you, there's no one position that's right. going to change your life. You know, you, everybody used to get those very comfortable chairs so you could sit in it for 10 hours and not move. And then everybody thought, oh, that's horrible. We have to move a little bit. So stand up. And then that may be horrible because it's a lot of, you know, pressure for forever. But, you know, actually a friend of mine said, well, what if we all got the, the least comfortable chair in the world? So you would move a little bit and you'd always be kind of adjusting yourself and, and listening to what's happening with you. I think a lot of times with yoga, the, the, the main thing that, that I tend to love about leading it is you, if I can be successful in, in showing somebody how to pay attention to themselves and not ignore themselves while they're doing yoga, you know, notice how you feel, slow down enough, breathe deep enough and not through me, blah, blah, blah. But if I can do it, that's the cool thing about teaching anything like, you know, you do it. And then if you're doing it, the person that you're doing it with wants to do it too. <laughs> right, right, right. So if I can actually slow down and breathe and, and do the movements in a way where I'm paying attention to myself, then I notice what's happening with myself. And, and therefore you have more information. You're not just plowing through and and expecting the yoga experience to heal you, you're noticing what's going on with you so you can make better choices. So, you know, I, I can take ownership for myself instead of needing that dogmatic yoga teacher to tell me which five moves to do every day. I've learned the vocabulary and now I can say, oh, well, my back hurts from doing all of the Zoom stuff. So I just want to lie down on the ground and do a little twist side to side. Mm. You know, that that's an obvious thing that I know because, you know, I'm, I'm a human and I know about movement a little bit. So I think people don't give themselves enough credit for how many different movements that they know. It's just connecting to yourself. So you feel inspired to do them. You don't feel like you need somebody to tell you, you know, twist to the right for five breaths and then twist to the left and then legs up the wall for 30 minutes. And then you're good to go because, you know, you can learn a little bit of those things, but once you learn them, you can really you know, just like learning a language, you become your own author, your own poet, and, you know, hopefully learn how to take good care of yourself for the long term. Yeah, you're right. Because I think what happens is if you get into the old school dogmatic approach of yoga, and again, I'm not judging people who do this. I'm just speaking from my own experience and just maybe my own understanding of, of human nature. If you're putting your, your, all your reliance into somebody else, as far as power, and you, it's all you trust is what they have to say, as far as, your, your mobility, your flexibility, which you're practicing in, in your yoga routine, then you're going to sometimes come up clueless when something's off because you don't have your, you're addict, not addicted, but your reliance, you you relied so much on the teachings of that one person or that those two people that you feel lost. But I think with your approach and the more, and the approaches with, with any sort of wellness that are becoming more popular now, are the ones where people are feeling more empowered and it's more self-guided, if you will, where you're leading the person along the journey with you, because mm -hmm. now people can learn to troubleshoot on their own so that if they, they, they build the confidence and trust in themselves to know what they're doing with yoga, 
that day they wake up with a super stiff back. They're like, oh, I know what to do. I can just like one of my favorite stretches is to, to lay down with my legs up against the wall. Right. And maybe do some twists and stretch my hips and, and stuff like that versus like, I mean, I'm a trainer, so I have a bit of an advantage because I know the body, but if I was just say a student and my hamstrings were tight, my back was stiff. And I was somebody who was almost blind to, to what actually worked because I didn't have any knowledge other than that of the teacher. I'd be spending time Googling. I'd be like comparing videos, like which one's right, which one's not, because I didn't have that self-empowerment to know what was right, not, not, not right versus wrong, but what actually worked for my own body. And, and I think one of the other things that I kind of wanted to, to dive into is, is hot yoga, because that's another trend now that we're seeing where, in fact, I would say most of the classes that I see now are hot yoga classes, power yoga, 60 minute yoga in a hundred degree heat. And people are flocking to these classes and they've become super popular. And I know uh, your thoughts are fairly contrarian to what most people think of it. So talk a bit about like hot, your opinion on hot yoga, whether you advise people to do it. And if so, why or why not? Uh, I mean, well, I guess it's better than, you know, shooting up heroin or something, you know, if you're going to yeah. spend an hour doing something, there could be worse things, but we talked about it a bit before, but if you think about, you know, your natural state of being, we want to be in a state of repair. You want to be using the energy you need to use to do the thing that you're doing, nothing more, nothing less. So you can do more. And, you know, that's, that's how you train people. You, you push them based on what they're able to do. You're not creating a, a situation, making it harder for a reason that won't lead to reward. So if you just take away the hot room and you're doing something in yoga, just say a simple warrior two, and you're doing the movement and you're in the right body position. Okay. You can do that. And you could have somebody else do it and then tense up everything that they have. And they're going to trick themselves into thinking that they're working harder but the person who's just in the position at ease is going to be able to stay all day. And the person stressing themselves out is going to burn out and collapse. So essentially hot yoga is the burnout and collapse. You're, you're feeling like you're getting this big result because you're exhausted. You're stressed. You, you have this cortisol spike. It's like being in a car accident and then you leave away and you feel like you've survived and it's a miracle but you don't get the reward of getting to the destination. <laughs> you know, right. if you, if you do your movement in the easiest possible way, you can do more and your body is not in this stress state. So, you know, we're just in this state of the world right now. I'm not surprised that hot yoga is so popular. No pain, no gain is the slogan of every athletic brand. <laughs> you know, it's sort of work harder, you know, do all these things and, and, and working harder gets confused with stressing yourself out. And there really isn't too much of a dialogue. There's a huge dialogue around mental health because everybody's so stressed out, but the dialogue isn't, well, how can we work smarter, work more efficiently, use what you need, rest what you don't, you know, it's sort of the idea of environmental conservation. You know, we want to pick up the trash and be better, but are we doing that with ourselves or are we, are we exhausting ourselves doing the simplest things? Are we making easy things hard and we can't do hard things easy? So you know, you can go to a hot yoga class and be relaxed and, and, and get through it and, and maybe survive and maybe not be affected. 
But, you know, I think that's maybe one in a million kind of a personality. Most people are going in and they're feeling like, yeah, <laughs> which can be very fun. That's a tribal kind of a thing. But, you know, physically, it's not so great for you. Mentally, it's not so great for you. Yeah. And I think a lot of people do it more as like a cleansing. It seems that they're going to sweat out a bunch of stuff or even weight loss. And they're like, oh, I'm going to go move in a hundred degree heat. Or I don't know what Bikram is. I think it was it's like 120 degrees, maybe. But I don't think they realize the negative effects they can it can have specifically for somebody who isn't flexible, because I think it's almost like reverse psychology where there's the notion that you go to hot yoga because you could become more flexible because of the heat. But really what's happening is you're overstretching your muscles, at least in, in my experience, because, yeah, you might be able to get a little bit more of a stretch, but you don't realize what you're doing to the muscles long term. And how when you get out of there, there can, there can actually be more damage caused at times than before you went in there. And again, like you said, it might not happen to everybody, but it does happen, especially for the people that we were talking about earlier in our conversation where they haven't ever done yoga before. They haven't even exercised in a long time. And they're going into a hundred degree room and sweating for 90 minutes. Yeah, and then they're not, yeah, go ahead. <laughs> <laughs> Sorry, I just forgot we were on your podcast for a moment. So we're just having a conversation. No, we are. We are having a conversation. That's, that's what I like about this stuff. So, yeah, I mean, it's it's a health nightmare. You know, any proper health practitioner would say, "What the heck are you doing?" You know, from an injury prevention point of view, yeah, of course. From a you know, a psychological point of view, a lot of these classes tell you when to drink water and when to not to drink water. That's just a mind control thing. You're, you're simply ignoring your body's cues for, to basically take care of yourself. So, you know, I, I find myself in group yoga classes actually, and I feel like a kindergarten teacher. Sometimes I see somebody resisting grabbing their glass of water. And I, and I sometimes just come over and say, you know, you can drink water if you want to drink water. And they'll say, I didn't know that I could, you know? So the fact that you're practicing ignoring how to take care of yourself and you're signing up to be controlled in that way, it's, it's, it's infuriating, you know, but, you know, we, people walk to it in droves because it's, you know, it, it, you don't sweat out toxins, by the way, <laughs> it doesn't work like that. The, the, toxins are not coming out through your, through your sweat glands, you know, all kinds of problems there, but, you know, it's people got to go through a certain amount of, of, of problems in order to make a change. And until there's a, another reckoning, then, you know, I mean, the guy's in jail, he's in Mexico, he's committed all of these crimes and people still go to the thing. <laughs> so I don't know, like, I'm not going to stand outside and pick it. I've got other things to do, but you know, it's, 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 it's not a good idea. No. And, <laughs> and I think a, a lot of it goes back to intentionality and, and why you're doing it. And again, like I'm sure there's people that go to it because they're super advanced in their yoga practice and they just want to challenge themselves more and they feel great, then fine. Like if it's works, if it works then just keep doing it. I think the concern is more so for the people or the vast majority of people that aren't nearly as advanced in their yoga practice or even in their, in their fitness. And they're going to these classes to simply lose weight or to cleanse or to get some dramatic shift in their health that they think is promised to them when in reality it's not. And I think that's where the problem um, comes up. But I also think one of the things that, that people probably go for 
is to is for the sense of community because I do think that these yoga studios, the hot yoga studios, and and any the CrossFit communities, gyms, they all they all have this community approach where people go, they want to be around other people that maybe are pushing themselves like they are. They have the same goals or just looking to make new friends. So, like, what are some what are some ways that you would recommend people being able to get involved in a yoga community, whether it's online, whether it's in a studio that is is healthy, that's safe and that is in it for the right reasons. Do you have any recommendations for people? Sure. I mean, I think, you know, you just need to keep your common sense about you like everything else. For some reason, when it comes to yoga and maybe religion, like we were talking about earlier, we we kind of go in and we, we, we stop trusting ourselves because this person knows so much more than me. So you could go into, you know, an unhealthy yoga community and and just turn off your common sense sensors and stop reading, you know, the signs that you're giving yourself. So I think that's why a lot of people get sucked in for years and then they're so surprised when something horrible happens. So I think, you know, you can, it's fine to go somewhere. And if you enjoy it, if you're feeling a good benefit, awesome. If you aren't, you know, keep looking around, you know, there's, there's so much available now. I think that's why it's so cool. And, you know, chances are you probably have a friend that loves yoga as well. And maybe you can ask them where they go and what they do and what communities they're a part of. You know, so I think, you know, it, we kind of put the too much emphasis on, well, it's, it's going to be perfect because it's yoga. I mean, when I first started yoga, I assumed that everybody who taught yoga was amazing and, and the best intentions and the smartest people in the world until I realized that people are people and some have great intentions, some aren't, and it's okay to have your common sense. So I think, you know, just like if you go to a restaurant and you love the food and you love the people there, you'd go back. If you got food poisoning and the owner was rude or something happened, you would just, you know, probably not go there again. So I think, you know, a lot of that is in, you know, just upping your common sense immunity a little bit more when you get into these kind of intense communities. Yeah. And, and trusting your in- intuition, trusting your gut, I think, because, and I think that's one of the ma- the amazing benefits that comes from working on yourself because you get to know yourself better. And if you can learn to trust yourself, you learn to know like what, what kind of people do I like being around? What kind of things do I like? What do I want to be doing? And then you can start to almost navigate your life in a way that leads you more towards those types of people, those types of places, those types of things. And it seems with your, your approach, and I know you talked about this in your, in your latest book that came out at the end of 2020, it's, it's more, it's like a, a multifaceted approach. It's not like you wrote your book just about yoga. You talked a lot about nutrition. You talked a lot about fitness. You talked about the breath. You talked about community. So where does, where does yoga and where does yoga fit in? Like, so meaning for me, when people will say, Hey, Doug, like I want to build a fitness plan. Like, what should I be doing? Traditionally, if it's the average person, obviously everybody's different, but if I were to give like a textbook answer, it would just say, Hey, make sure to get in, you know, resistance training workouts, you know, two to three times a week, at least try to get some cardio in, you know, two, three times a week, maybe go and and do a yoga class once a week and and stretch daily or something. I'm just making this up off the top of my head. (laughs) I'm writing it down, (laughs) but but there's probably also people and I, you might even argue and say, well, what if I told you that yoga could be that resistance training? What if I told you that yoga could be the foundation of your fitness plan? So in your experience and your expertise, for the most part, is that what you see? Do you see your students having yoga as the foundation of their fitness plan or is it like an, almost an, used as, as an accessory? Well, I, 
I love the, I mean, this is kind of a corny thing, but the flexibility of, of yoga in that way. So for, for me, how I like to practice this move easy, everything you've got in every direction you can, it's perfect for athletes. It's perfect. If you want your yoga to be your everything, you know, it's, it's not going to get you the aesthetic giant muscles if you're lifting weights, obviously, but if you want to be strong and live your life, it can do that too. So I'm not, you know, uh, a religious person about yoga, like it has to be your only thing, or it has to be your recovery days. But I do think the the beauty of doing yoga in a way that's easy on you is it can exist every day. So whether that's five minutes or, you know, a 30 minute or an hour long class, I think, you know, yoga is a great way to kind of be the software for everything else. I mean, I love going to, you know, a group training class and, you know, I'm not going to be the the muscliest person in the room, but I know myself and I know I'm going to move the best that I can. So, you know, between the wall balls and the rowing machine, I'm going <laughs> to get there like pretty swiftly. You know, So I love that yoga can be my, my kind of software for how I do everything else. So I think that's a huge benefit that, that people start to see when they practice in this way. So it becomes pretty obvious how they want to implement it. So for a lot of runners that you know, that do classes with me, they love doing yoga, you know, every day or every other day, or they really don't think about, I need to kind of be on this plan because it helps their running and they kind of do it when they need to do it to help their running. So, but a lot of people just do it as their everyday thing. And I would say that that's most of the people that practice with us, but it's also that's, you know, once you start doing something, I think with anything else, you just start doing more and more and I love when people, you know, actually a long time ago, people would say, oh, I don't want to tell you, but I'm also going to this fitness class. And I'm like, great, <laughs> you yeah. know, go, like be strong, do that. You're not cheating on yoga. You know, yoga should help you be able to move yourself better at all of those things and calm yourself better at all of those things. But if those things are stressing you out, sometimes there's not a problem with that high intensity interval class, but there may be a problem with your mind, you know, so and yoga can help you with your mind as well. And I think the beautiful thing about having different approaches to your fitness plan is they can all offset each other. Like, mm-hmm. you know, if you want to hold a better handstand, we'll just use that. Cause I think everybody, most people I, th- I think would know that pose, not even in yoga, just as a pose in general, where you're holding yourself up by your hands. While I believe that practicing the handstand more will help. There's something else that could help. And that is doing some more upper body strength training right? Because if you're flexible and you're also doing upper body work where you're really working on strengthening those muscles that are used in doing the handstand, it's going to make, it could make your handstand easier. Just like I would say the opposite could be true where somebody is having a hard time getting full range of motion, doing a bench press, and they start incorporating some, some yoga or some movement patterns from different yoga poses. And it could help them increase their mobility, their flexibility, and their range of motion to be able to not only lift heavier weight, if that's their goal, but lift the weight better and more efficient without getting injured. So I think there's a lot of room for, for things to be interchanged when it comes to fitness so that it just has to work with what your goals are. It has to work with your schedule. It has to work with what you want. And, and at the end of the day, like just move, yeah. like that, just move <laughs> your body. And I think we overcomplicate it because there's so many programs online. There's so many studios. There's so many people saying, you got to do this. You got to do that. Buy this, buy that. I'm selling this. I'm selling that. That people are overwhelmed with data. People are overwhelmed with ideas, with exercises. And I don't think we have a knowledge problem. I think it's more of an action problem. So oh, yeah. 
you know, it's better to move your body for 15, 20 minutes a day than it is to just go up, go back and forth and bounce in and out of workout programs and not be consistent. So what are some things for you? Because we all have stress, we all have our bad days and we all get into ruts. So other than feeling connected to your body, which I know is probably going to be part of your answer. What are some things that you do when you're having a crappy day to get to, to change your state and improve your mood so that it doesn't carry on to the next day, the next week, the next month, that sort of thing. Oh yeah. Well, I think it's really hard for, for everyone in the middle of a panic to do anything yeah. about it. <laughs> I think that's right. probably the hardest thing, you know, Oh, when I'm panicked, I just get down on the ground and I do some yoga no one really does that, but no, no. I think, I think for me, I, I, I know myself enough to know that I think we all kind of need some version of a regular practice to do, you know, whether that's, you know, fitness practice, yoga practice, self-care. So, you know, I know for myself, I, I have the morning before everybody wakes up. So I get up in the morning and I, I do all the things for myself. You know, I, I do my workout, I do my meditation. I like, nobody talks to me. I have that time. So, you know, I do that every day and I notice, you know, some days I'll, I'll, oh, I'll just not do it today. And I'm going to do this other thing. Those are the days where more of the crappy things happen. <laughs> and I don't think it's a coincidence. I think it's just, you know, the stress is happening all the time, but of course it's how you react to it. So if I have my time that I set aside and I do my stuff, I, I just, I feel better. And I don't think there's much mystery about that. You know, we all can do that, whether it's five minutes in the morning or, you take a break in the afternoon or whatever. And, you know, of course, in the middle of something horrible, if I remember, okay, I soften, I roll around, but hopefully all of that stuff is already, whatever I'm working on, wherever I am in my progress, it's there. So I can relax a little bit more in the middle of that struggle. So I'm not working against myself. And I do see progress in that too, which is quite cool. You know, I can be in the middle of a, a training somewhere and and somebody's late or, you know, the door's not opening. And instead of like forcing the door, I can bend my knees a little bit, <laughs> see if it opens that way. And yeah, work, work it out a little bit more. So I think, you know, we can all see our progress based on how we're being consistent for sure. Yeah. And I think one of the things that is a common theme of, of this show is I don't believe adversity is what breaks us. I think it's how we respond to the adversity that ends up breaking you. So if you end up so you get a bad email that really triggered you, pissed you off. It's not that email, but if you go and if you drink a ton of alcohol and, or go do a bunch of drugs for like a few weeks straight, and then that ends up messing up your relationship, ends up messing up your job, maybe it ends up getting in the way of a health goal or whatever it is, like that's what messed, that's what breaks you. That's what messes things up is how you respond. So if you get more into the proactive practice, uh, of, of moving your body, or if, if knowing that you have to, to eat well, or you have to get good sleep, or you have to stay hydrated, or you have to hang around good people and that you can just learn to adjust when things happen so that you do get, when you do that, get that email, you're like, Oh, I remember that whenever I do yoga or whenever I go outside for a walk, I feel better during it. And I feel better afterwards. Cause I didn't make a decision that wasn't aligned with who I want to become. Mm. And it takes time. It's not as simple as if you're somebody who's constantly in a fight or flight state and you're so used to responding impulsively and negatively to these situations that all of a sudden you're going to hit adversity and then you're automatically going to go for a run or you're automatically going to call a mentor, or you're automatically going to go for a hike. But 
I think what can happen is if you catch yourself in that moment and develop some sense of self-awareness and be consistent on the days that there aren't adversity and doing those things, you'll start to remember in your mind that that's something that makes you feel good. So that when you're feeling bad, your body's going to naturally say, well, what can I do to make it better? Because that's all you're doing anyway, whether you're drinking, whether you're doing drugs, whether you're lashing out at somebody, you're, you're trying to feel better in that moment. So if you can wire yourself and get your body used to knowing what actually makes you happy in a healthy way, I think it can give you a chance during, during the times where you're feeling stressed to go out for that hike, go out for that run. And then once you're consistent with that, it becomes second nature. That becomes your new normal so that you're just kind of flowing through life. Mm. Yeah, that makes a hundred percent sense for sure. And it's cool. I think that's why community is cool too, because, you know, I just heard that from you and it reminded me of some things and, you know, hearing everybody's stories and, you know, what they used to do before they started taking good care of themselves and what they do now may inspire someone else. And, you know, that sort of swapping of stories and those little ideas of, of how to feel better without the doing destructive things to feel better, like you said, for sure. Yeah. So one of the things that I've said a couple of times is, is the issues are in the tissues. And I think at least in my own experience, when I'm feeling stressed or if I'm feeling anxious, I get super tight. You know, I can feel like my shoulders getting tight, my hips, my hip flexors, my neck, and it, it can become uncomfortable. So in your experience, you've been doing this for quite a while. Have you seen people like be able to heal trauma or heal past like painful experiences through practicing yoga or through practicing movement throughout your career as in, in your industry? Oh yeah. I mean, a hundred percent. The incredible thing about that is we were talking about before, it's always, they made a change. They decided instead of going on with that stiffness that they felt to soften, to roll around, to connect with themselves. And maybe it literally gave their body a chance to heal and then their body healed, or maybe it gave them an opportunity to, to make a better decision. And then they changed their life, you know? So I just feel so grateful, you know, so many stories over the years of things that would sound, you know, outrageous to claim that yoga healed them with this trauma and this pain and this disease or this relationship, but, but it did because they healed themselves in that way. And I think that's also, you know, something I shy away from saying, because it sounds like this claim, like just do yoga and your infertility issues will go away or just do yoga and, you know, your cancer will be cured. And I think that's just, it's not fair because it's, right. it's, you know, health is so multifactorial, but what it does when you soften, when you notice that rigidity and you soften and you allow yourself to, to breathe better is you're giving yourself the best chance possible for mm. your body, your mind, your whole self to, you know, to reorganize. And, and then you, you think clearer, so you make better decisions. So you're, you're just giving yourself that best chance so much of, you know, when that rigidity, that tension creeps in, we're, we're in our own way, you know, so we're not giving ourselves that best chance. So I think, you know, rather than claiming this can heal your life, you know, this can give you a great chance. <laughs> and uh, that doesn't sound so flashy, but, you know, I, I, I completely shy away from, you know, from making claims on our website or even testimonials because they're, they're so, I think, mean to somebody reading that. And maybe it's inspiring, but also maybe it's, you know, a little bit, you know, making somebody feel like they're not quite there yet as well. So I think it's great when people share their stories of, how they experienced a better connection with themselves and where that led them to, because 
they're all so unique and they're all so individual and, and not repeatable, but also the, the process is definitely repeatable and, and good things will happen when you connect with yourself. You don't necessarily know what those good things might be, but they will happen. Yeah. I think any, any trans, any massive shift or transformation in anyone's life requires to have a deep sense of self-awareness to be able to know what exactly it is that the person's going through so that they can figure out like, okay, this is how I'm feeling. This is what I'm going through. This is what I did go through. What can I do to make a shift? And that also requires us to be present, patience, feeling connected. And I think getting in some of getting in yoga poses, doing Pilates, like movement, any kind of movement, I think you're, if you're practicing feeling more connected to your body, right? I think there's also this almost subconscious conversation that happens between your mind and your body. Whenever you do move it, that you're showing it, that you love it and that you're taking care of it. And I think it's going to be kinder to you as a result. So I think there is obviously some correlation between people being able to heal themselves through yoga because they're getting more connected to themselves. They're learning to breathe. Maybe they're a, they're being able to more healthily process their emotions and their thoughts, mm-hmm. right? Because they're in this space where they feel comfortable. They feel this level of trust. You're around like-minded people and you're practicing the breath. You're practicing different poses, different movements, and things are starting to flow out of you. And you're gaining more confidence in yourself because you're like, oh, like these emotions or thoughts are coming up and I'm not reacting impulsively. I'm okay with who I am in this moment. And that's everything with healing, because I think one of the hardest things when you're trying to make a massive shift is you're constantly thinking about the person you were, the things that happened or the person that you want to be, or what's going to happen in the future. And you forget that all that matters is what's going on right now in front of you in that moment. And if we can learn to control that state in the best way we can, like you said, it gives us a chance to thrive going forward. But if we don't, it, it literally guarantees us that we won't. Yeah. Because we we would just fall back in the same patterns and the same, the same habits, same behaviors. And and life will continue to fall apart if we're not careful. And and so the last thing I want to ask you is I know you're you're not for the dogma when it comes to yoga, but there's gonna be a lot of people, I think, listening to this that are are intrigued to start doing yoga, or maybe they're on the fence, or maybe they are doing yoga and maybe they're, they're looking for more inspiration. If somebody came up to you and they ran into you in, in, in New York or in Illinois, where you're at right now, and they had you for two minutes. And in those two minutes, you, sh- you had to share your experience with them and what yoga has done for your life and how it could inspire them to make a change in their lives. What would you say to them? Oh, well, this happens all the time right now because we're meeting our neighbors <laughs> so, and it's a small town. So they kind of know a little bit about me or a lot. I don't know, but I'll walk up. We'll walk up to each other. And then I notice, oh my gosh, everything I'm doing is this opportunity to share with them about yoga, how I'm moving, how I am, how I'm doing. It's a magnifying glass. So I'll walk up, bend my knees a little bit, connect with my breath. And literally they'll say, are you, can you show me some yoga? <laughs> you know, so then I know, okay, I've done a, I've done a good job. Yeah. So I'll say, okay, I just talked them through what I just did. I'll say, okay, stand easy, find a comfortable stance, bend your knees a little bit, <sighs> you know, and then I breathe and then they breathe. I don't have to say, now we're going to do this thing. And then just start to move, move, you know, kind of follow along in, in, in a simple way. And, you know, something great always happens. The conversation is now moving in a good place instead of moving like, 
oh, are you going to mow your lawn? (laughs) (laughs) Stuff I've never had to deal with before. So, you know, it's sort of, it makes everything better when you make a good relationship with yourself. You're going to obviously make good relationships with the folks around you. It's going to be much more easy and balanced. So, you know, I love to just simply take care of myself and people usually ask, you know, I'll just, oh, what are you doing? You must, you must be taking good care of yourself. Can you show me like a a yoga pose to do? And then from there, it's easy. You know, I kind of make a little guess about, you know, you do a lot of training. So maybe it's just softening a little bit and a little rolling around from your middle is all you need. You don't need to get up and do a warrior two for five minutes. You have that kind of strength, you know, in your life and other places. So I wouldn't, try to show you how strong I am, you know, cause then we're in a weird relationship and there's no need for that. <laughs> so for the most part, people just want to, you know, feel better. So I can do that for myself. And, you know, as a leader of yoga, as somebody teaching or sharing, make a little guess and what I think may help them feel more balanced in their life with, you know, whatever's going on with their body or, you know, how I hear their voice and do a few easy movements and, you know, choose from the vocabulary, you know, just like someone would come over to your house and say, I'm starving. You know, you want to give them a carrot, you'd give them a sandwich, you know, know, just keeping it super simple with what I know and how I can share it. Yeah. You wouldn't, you wouldn't give them a, or you wouldn't make them a sandwich, but yeah, this bread came from, from this store that the the bread was made here. This is where they got the meat. This is where they, you wouldn't go into this in-depth, like hour long conversation of the roots of where everything came from. They'd be like, I just want my food. I'm hungry. And it's it's kind of the same thing. If someone's feeling stiff, you don't have to, you know, get up there and, and start explaining like where exactly this, this all originates from. You just explain like, okay, you're feeling stiff. You're, you're reading their energy you're listening to their voice, you're connecting with them. And then you're just kind of just, you're sharing with them in a way that they're going to be able to understand. Right. Because if you start talking in anything, like, and I think this is a great way for people to have better conversations is really being able to feel like you understand where that person is having empathy so that you can articulate your conversation in a way that suits that relationship. I mean, it's totally different. If you have two people who have been doing yoga for 20 years, you probably could have a, a different conversation and somewhat than a conversation you're going to have with a neighbor you just met and you have no idea what their fitness level is like. You have no idea if they've ever done yoga, if they're bending over and they're stiff and they're asking you to show them some yoga, odds are they're not doing a lot of yoga. So your conversation's going to change based on the, the level of relatability there is in those moments. So Tara, I, I really have enjoyed this conversation. I, I, I've never, I think this is our first conversation where I've gone this in depth about yoga. So it's been exciting. I think people are going to want to check out Strala. They're going to want to check out your books. They're going to want to check out you. So where can people find out more about you if they want to learn more, if they want to watch your videos and get involved? Well, I'm pretty easy to find. <laughs> I think you know, everybody's easy to find now, but yeah. you can just check out atterastyles.com or astralayoga.com and there's a lot there. And, you know, we, we have an app, if you want to join and, you know, money's an issue, we try to keep the price really low, just message us. We'll, we have lots of scholarships and happy to, happy to help. You know, I, I just feel that way. If, if, if someone wants to be there and they can't be there, just completely let us know. It's, you know, that's, that's an easy thing, especially with, with feeling better. You know, if, if you feel better then the person next to you is going to feel better. And then somehow that's going to, get back around. <laughs> so yeah, it's a, it's pretty important to, to take it, take good care of ourselves and each other. I think hundred percent. And it's all about energy exchange. And I think if it just, just remember if, if you're somebody who's listening to this and 
you're you're not feeling good, it's okay. Just know in that moment that it's okay not to feel good, but there's some things that you can do to feel better. And one of which is yoga, one of which is fitness, one of which is getting around a different community of people, spiritual. There's so many things you can do. Just pick what works for you and just know, I think part of the part of what gets people through hard times is knowing that they're going uh, through it for a reason Mm -hmm. and that when they get to the other side, they're going to be able to help out people Mm. based on what they've gone through. So just know that once you are able to get through these tough times and maybe it's through yoga, maybe it's through fitness, whatever you choose, you're going to be able to help somebody else out and say, you know, I was feeling depressed too. I was feeling super stressed. I was having trouble sleeping. I was having all this pain. But what I, I found that when I did X, Y, and Z, I felt so much better and just give it a try. And then you never know where that leads. And that, then they could make that person feel better. And they do the same thing and they pass it on. And sure enough, you have this super dark room that has, it's like the old analogy. You have that dark room and you have one candle and one candle can't light up a huge dark room, but one candle lights another candle, can light another candle. Mm. Then sure enough, after lighting a hundred candles, you have this super bright room. So with that said, I wanted to thank everybody for listening to this episode of the Adversity Advantage. I'm your host, Doug Bobst. We'll see you next time.